0: Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a hot episode for you oh, guys today. Yes. Hey, we're <laughs> going to be talking about welding and fabrication, which is something I am not very good at, but I try to pretend that I am. And I feel like this is one of those crafts that you can spend a lifetime working on. Oh, right? yeah. And just like continually get better and try new things. And there's different variations of things you can do. We have Josh Welton, or as he's known on uh, on social media, the welding assassin all right he's going to be discussing welding and fabrication he's the owner of brown dog welding he's a master welder fabricator millwright and author on dodge garage and uh, the fabricator.com he also hosts hosts workshops on welding oh cool and uh, i hope he can give us some tips and how to get into welding start on the road your own journey to melting metal together and uh, i think we should touch a little bit on the (laughs) industrial history of detroit too can that be the name of this episode
1: melting metal Together. Melting
0: metal together. We would be able to do better than that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I also think we should touch a bit on Industrial Detroit because he's kind of a, a pro at Industrial Detroit at the turn of the century. So I'm kind of want to hear his opinion on that. So uh, before we get into that, though, I want to do a little bit of kind of a backstory on welding in general. Yes.
1: And I have something for you, Chris. But before that, what have we got? Yeah, let's take a quick Moment to talk about our sponsor, Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with industry-leading customer service. They've also launched their world-class line of hand tools into the U.S. market. These are German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. Head over to worthusa.com to check out all their products. And we also have our guy, Andy at Worth that you can
0: contact us and we'll get you in contact with him. All right. So I want to hear about welding and melting metal together because honestly I, I love it it's pretty cool it I've, is a
1: very cool thing i've
0: had the bride out in the garage she's kind of welded a little bit i'm like oh try it like this you got to stir it up like a like it's a little like it's you a gotta little walk thing. the puddle chris. yeah you got to stir it up like puddle. it's a little soup that you're making with the metal <laughs> as you go down the thing little orange soup yeah a little bacon frying in the frying pan <sighs> well chris should we should we start way back at the beginning i think we should okay so was the first welding uh, a lightning was it lightning We're not going that far back, are we? We're going pretty damn far back. (laughs) All right, what do we got? So
1: his name was Glaucus of Chios. Okay. And he was. Is he Greek? A Greek. Okay, that sounds very Greek. Yes. In the 5th century BC. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's a long time that's ago.
1: 7000 years ago, Chris.
0: <laughs> this his, guy must be pretty important if we remember his name after 7000 years. Yeah, so, I can't wait for people to talk about Chris Kluel. 7000 uh, years ago he had we're a not podcast be here in 7000 no, years. No. no, no. no. <laughs> uh, so his most
1: famous so he was a Greek sculptor as I mentioned and his most famous work was a base of iron supporting a silver crater or vase. It was given by the Lydian king as an offering to the Oracle of Delphi. So okay. This was like a very significant yeah, piece that a religious sculptor type of thing. made for this king. And then he gave him. And the work is well known and is found in the writings of many ancient Greeks. That's why we still know about this and know this guy's name. Quote, it exists a mode of, un- of uniting metals without the help of nails, hooks, or dovetails. It was celebrated work. So people are looking at this
0: thing. Like, it's basically how is this, magic.
1: How is this metal held together?
0: It's basically magic at this it, point. It is. So the ancient Greeks Zeus himself. Must have forged uh, it. Imagine right? being back in the day where you could do something. Re- I always think about what it would be like if I could go back in time. And
1: 500,
0: 500 years ago and be like, hey, I have this idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. What if we put gas in a little sealed container and light it on fire and then use that to rotate something? <laughs> What are you guys thinking? I go, that's genius. Yeah, But but regardless,
1: this would have been crazy. So in fact, the ancient Greek historian Herodas stated that Glacius of Chios was the man who single-handedly invented iron welding. In addition, there's evidence that the Egyptians learned to weld iron together, and we have found small gold boxes with lap joints pressure welded from over 2,000 years ago. Uh, The Middle Ages then brought advances in forge welding, which is basically blacksmiths pounding heated metals together repeatedly until they're bonded together. Yep. Folding In, them over and over again, yep. that type of thing. In 1540, Venatio considered? So what
0: is the definition of welding then? So that's considered welding. If we're blacksmithing something and folding different pieces of metal into each other right, that with is welding, heat, that's, that's welding. That's considered
1: forge welding.
0: Okay. So then we have basically 2,000
1: years of progress where not much progress was actually made. Basically because there was no power grid. Do <laughs>
0: that has a yeah, lot electricity
1: to do with ended up being pretty important. Yes. So... Then, in the year 1800, Sir Humphrey Davy discovered the short pulse electrical arc. And two years later, in 1802, the Russian scientist Vasily Petrov created a continuous electrical arc. It wasn't until 18 years later, though, that in 1882, the inventor Nikolai Bernardos utilized... That, that sounded Italian, but it's Russian. So let me read that. <laughs> Nikolai Bernardo.
0: Yeah, that's whatever.
1: Slightly better. He utilized this arcing discovery to create the first electric arc welding method using carbon electrodes. Then, around 1900,
0: that's the the first taste of modern welding. That's kind of modern, exactly.
1: 1900, A.P. Strominger released a coated metal electrode in Britain, which was able to give a more stable arc alternating current welding was then invented by cj holslag in 1919 but did not become popular for another decade in the meantime however i imagine
0: a lot of this is is a is a it's taking a long time for this to catch on right we're talking oh, dec- you're yeah. talking about decades and i think it's probably has a lot to do with power delivery to wherever they're doing it right because you're not you don't have a 200 amp service at your house no in. electricity <laughs> is the newfangled. yeah you your light bulb is like it's <laughs> like kind of dim <laughs> that's what fluctu- the light
1: bulb's doing
0: this it's fluctuating back and forth you're not welding anything back in the time by plugging anything into the wall right it's your light bulb is barely working
1: right so it's interesting you say that because in the meantime acetylene gas was discovered in 1836 so do you recall chris our episode on did lighting yeah and so they actually used this gas as a light source on vehicles however it wasn't until 1900 when a suitable torch was developed
0: i'm imagining most of (laughs) these discoveries are uh uh, preceded by an explosion oh yeah (laughs) something went terribly wrong I, i
1: love that they have this awesome gas that burns super hot but uh we can't use it to weld or cut because our torches keep melting
0: <laughs> what was the first thing you ever welded um i don't know mine so- was a 17 millimeter wrench to the battery <laughs> <laughs> i
2: gotcha that was an accidental yeah. weld
0: yeah that was very e- bad I and mean, you, you're like oh you tried to- it's yeah not good e- not good yeah
1: so at first gas welding was one of the more popular welding methods because as you said you can actually take it with you. It's portable, and it's low cost compared to electricity. Uh, As the 20th century progressed, progressed, however, it fell out of favor for industrial applications. It was largely replaced with arc welding as advances in metal coverings known as flux were made. Now, Chris, flux material is a covering of the electrode for the purpose of shielding the base material from impurities in the air. Because think about it, you're basically burning something right. right and so when you burn something there's think of it as unless smoke it's, from unless a campfire it's an
0: absolutely pure material you're going right. to have in, it's the same thing they do when they're at a uh, a foundry right they they heat it up they have that flux material that they put in there and yep. they scoop all the bad stuff off the top it's right. kind of a similar yeah the analogy i was thinking about
1: is like think of a campfire if you're trying to like melt something on top of a campfire you're getting smoke into it well it's the same thing with this welding unless you have a gas that displaces all the air and the impurities so that's what flux is used as uh, fast forward a little bit, and World War One saw a major surge in not only the use of welding, but also new processes and technologies. The British primarily used arc welding, and even constructed a ship, the Fulliger, with the first entirely welded hull. So not riveted
0: together. Not this riveted. Thing is this
1: thing's just welded piece by piece. Arc welding was first applied to aircraft during the war as well, and some German airplane fuselages were constructed using the process. Also noteworthy was the first welded bridge in the world, built across the river Szylwia in Poland in 1928.
0: I think a lot of bridges are still riveted and cabled together. Right, so welded that's odd seems, that they weld it. Welded seems very, very rigid, almost too rigid.
1: Yeah, you better have some, some really high penetration on those yeah, welds too, because yeah. imagine like your inch-thick beams. Regardless, during the 20s, major advances were made in welding technology, including the introduction of automatic welding in 1920, in which the electrode wire was fed continuously. That's the that's one. wire feed. That's yep. what we know and love. Uh, shielding gas became a subject receiving much attention as scientists attempted to protect welds from the effects of oxygen, as we talked about. So instead of using a flux material on the electrode, now we're yeah. just pumping gas in to right. displace oxygen.
0: And that's typically what kind of gas is that?
1: Uh, it's usually argon. argon. Yeah. I use a seventy-five twenty-five argon CO two mix, okay. which has some sort of benefit that I don't remember. Okay, I was gonna.
0: I was waiting for the benefits. Is this like putting nitrogen in your tires because it helps you get better yeah, fuel economy? Yeah. Okay.
1: I don't know. They just say the twenty-five percent is better. Okay. Sure. Um, porosity and brittleness were, of course, the primary problems, and the solutions that developed included the use of hydrogen, argon, helium, as
0: uh, and if you've ever aquasperes. run out of gas while you're welding, you can tell the difference. Oh yeah, your everything's going, going great, great. Everything's fine then all of a sudden your wire is pushing back on you and splattering you setting you on fire none of it's good
1: during the following decades further advances allowed for the welding of reactive metals like aluminum and magnesium uh this in conjunction with developments in automatic welding alternating current and fluxes fed a major expansion of arc welding during the 1930s and during world war ii During the middle of the century, many new welding methods were invented. You have gas tungsten, blah, 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 blah. And of course in 1960, light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation was invented.
2: In essence, a sophisticated heat beam, which we called a laser. (laughs) <laughs> that's right so
1: laser welding was invented in which laser beams were basically providing a useful and high-speed automated welding and of course you have friction welding debuting in 1991 I didn't realize it was that recent which is used in large industrial applications yeah, like pipes and stuff like have that you they, seen those it's videos amazing, where, where they, they just spin them together they spin them and it just yeah so there's certainly been a lot of technologies yeah. And I think years.
0: what we should do is we should Take a quick break, and when we get back, we will hear from Josh, who someone uh, who actually knows, who actually, what they're yeah, doing. someone actually knows what they're talking about. Mister Josh Walton, it's our pleasure to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. Heck yeah, thanks for having me. From what I can tell, you really, really love what you do. I'm looking through your Instagram. (laughs) I'm looking at your website. You really love what you do. And I just, why do you love it so much? What is it about welding and fabricating and everything else that you do that, uh, that makes your lifestyle look like it's just something that you've married?
2: (laughs) I, uh, I don't know. There's something about welding. It kind of sounds hokey, but there's a, it's almost like spiritual changing metal and, uh, creating something that's going to last pretty much forever by taking two pieces of metal and, uh, and putting them together and, and making something out of, uh, something else out of something, I guess. But there's, uh, I don't, know, there's such a great history for it. And, and uh, the, the first time, the first time I ever struck an arc was I was an apprentice for Chrysler and they took us back to a, a generator welder. We weren't supposed to be back there. One of the instructors kind of snuck us back there and, uh, it was, it was arc welding. So it was with a stick electrode and I struck my first arc and I'm, running this beat. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love this. And somebody's like, man, you're on fire. I'm like, yeah, I know. This is awesome. And he's like, no, literally you're on fire. And uh, <laughs> I looked down and my pants were on fire, uh, wearing frayed jeans. Uh, it was first time, but definitely not the last time I, I caught myself on fire, but I was just in love. I, I don't know. I was never, I, my, my dad is kind of a Jack of all trades, master of all t- trades. My grandpa was the same way. And I just, that wasn't me growing up. I I was going to, you know, I went to college. I was going to be an architect or a psychologist or something like that. And then uh, I met my wife and her dad was a millwright instructor at Chrysler and, uh, kind of got me in there. And my grandpa kind of quipped, he's like, don't you have to have some kind of mechanical aptitude for that? (laughs) He's like, yeah, thanks, gramps. (laughs) Um, but, but I got into it and, uh, welding was just part of the, part of the job I loved. Uh, there's just something something about it that grabbed me and, and never let go. And it's it's kind
0: of weird that if you think about welding of basically welding to, or melting two elements together, it's yes. almost like the natural progression of mankind discovering fire, right? Is making metal oh, yeah. stick together.
2: Right, as, soon as, as soon as they discovered fire, uh, you know, they had metal and uh, welding's been around since the Bronze Age in different forms. Uh, you know, they would just sort of use heat and hammers and beat the, beat the metal together until, uh, until it became one piece. And, uh, I mean, it's sort of been advancing ever since then. Um, once they discovered acetylene, that was a big deal because that was a a super hot gas, um, that really accelerated the process. And, uh, it's kind of like, as technology advances, welding advances, as needs advance, welding advances, uh, there was so many discoveries with it that kind of happened all at the same time on different continents by different people and eventually just kind of led us to where we are now.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you live in Detroit, which is kind of the, you know, especially in the turn of the century was this Mecca for industrial revolution in America. It was just huge. What was the welding and industrial complex like in the early 1900s?
2: Uh, Detroit. Uh, you said it perfectly. I I often d- describe Detroit as the industrial mecca of the world. I think it still is. There's just such a huge uh, talent base for skilled trades and for engineering here in Detroit. And it started, you know, before the auto industry uh, in the 1800s. It was the shipbuilding capital of the world. Uh, it was the stove manufacturing capital of the world, which kind of directly led into. Uh, the automotive industry because as... Hold on, um, let, me,
0: let me stop here. right there. Why is it, yeah. why was it the capital war for this stuff? Is it kind of its proximity to Duluth and the, the steel country that's up there? Why why was it, is it because the Great Lakes were there and it was easy to get it out it's, plus
2: the proximity the to great, the iron ore? Yeah, it's the Great Lakes. It was because it was the international shipping hub uh, or at least a national, oh, international because of Canada. Um, and that's kind of why why that all happened. I mean Detroit was one of the biggest cities in the in the country at that point. And uh I'm I'm not sure. It was just the, kind of this convergence of of factors that led into this. And I think once you start building one thing it it uh it kind of pulls like minded people in and uh, it kinda of escalated from there. 'Cause as as the uh as the stove manufacturing thing kind of died off, the automotive thing was just starting to happen in the early nineteen hundreds. Uh, when, uh, Henry, uh, if anybody's listened to me much, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Henry Ford, uh, but it was, he was, you know, he was kind of the linchpin and, uh, he had bankrupted a couple of companies and found the Dodge brothers in the early 1900s. And that's when they started the Ford motor company, uh, that, uh, John and Horace basically built his cars for him for, from like 1904 to 1914 when they started their own company. But Henry was interesting because he was he was always very mechanically minded uh and he started in detroit at uh how what was it like an engine builder for 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 boats and you know he kind of puts this puts this idea together gets a couple of guys who made bicycles to get the wheels for him and puts together chassis and you know had this car and it wasn't the first car but he was he, he was all about making a race car at the beginning and that's why He bankrupted a couple of companies, was because he would get these investors in saying he would produce this mass-produced automobile, and as soon as he got the money, he would just kind of play with his race car. It
0: sounds like my guy, uh, guy, honestly.
2: (laughs) Yeah, oh, totally, totally. And and then he was he was all about the PR. He was always like the marketing genius uh, as much as anything else. And John and Horace were the the mechanical geniuses. Well, Horace was a mechanical genius. John was kind of the the hammer to a nail and they, they had been building stuff for Oldsmobile and then they signed an exclusive contract with Ford. And I mean, Detroit had in the early 1900s, there was, I mean, there was over a hundred nameplates for automobiles. It just kind of exploded there. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was just this huge uh, convergence of, all these and it was all mechanics like it wasn't there, were, there weren't business guys coming in or, or you know engineers that didn't get their hands dirty they were all mechanically minded i guess mechanics slash engineers and welding wasn't a huge part of it back then there was a lot of uh the, the, the chassis were all uh steel but the bodies were all wood uh sometimes even the chassis parts of that that was wood um actually in the late 18 was it the late 19? It was like around 1920, uh, They, the Dodge Brothers built the first production car with an all-steel body uh, that was made by a company in Philadelphia uh, called Bud. And Is that something that's kind of riveted were, together, or do they weld that together? Yeah, or there, was, there was a lot of riveting. There was a lot of riveting. There was a lot of spot welding, which is kind of two electrodes on Either side of the metal come together. Yeah, sort it's the of thing metal, that I hate every together. time I take a car apart. <laughs> oh, it's a, yeah, it's it's terrible, and even even now with spot welding, one of the cool things is that they've developed uh, friction stir, which kind of you can in, in modern times you can put aluminum and steel together, which typically isn't isn't doable. Uh, but in that process, they've kind of been able to do that uh, in the last decade, decade and a half. Uh, so, in but your yeah, opinion, if you
0: if you look back at Detroit and the industrial revolution of that era, and you look at Detroit now, it's not quite the same. What do you think, in your opinion just just from knowing the way that you you're into like the the labor force and everything like that? What happened to, D- to Detroit, in your opinion, over the years?
2: Uh, politics. Uh, they, it was people got too heavily invested in the auto industry, and the auto industry is notoriously cyclical. Uh, you know, every ten years or so, there's a big dive. And when that dies coincides with other, you know, national economic factors, uh, and and you're fully invested into that, uh, and then and then you know you had the gas crisis, and at the same time, uh, you know, Japan was coming up with with cars that were that were kind of durable and affordable and very uh, you know gas friendly. So I think there's a number of factors, and even there's a there's an awesome book called The Machine That Changed the World about Toyota's just in time manufacturing and they basically went to GM in the, in the 1950s and GM let them come in and kind of learn all their processes. And when Toyota in the eighties and nineties, Was that like out of some sort of
0: guilt thing? Like we, you know, because of the war, we're going to let you come over here. What what was the reason that they let them in?
2: Not at all. It was, it was just, I think it was just, well, one, I don't think they steered them at all from a, from a, manufacturing standpoint I think it was as much they were showing off as much as anything huh. and when Toyota it was always open to returning the favor and I've read so many articles uh kind of before the, the 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 soon in the early 2000s and then you know 2010 where uh big three manufacturers would go to Japan and try to learn how they did things and they'd come back and they didn't learn any lessons. They would just pick out one thing and be like, "Oh, we're going to do this." And the the Japanese way of doing things was like all inclusive. It was all or nothing. Like they were they were completely uh, in tune with their suppliers. Uh, the 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 production from start to finish. It wasn't about hitting numbers. It was about doing things the right way. I know that sounds kind of trite, but uh, the whole kaizen process and so GM and uh, you know Dodge and and Ford engineers would come back and be like, oh, we're going to do this thing where line workers can stop the line at any time and fix a problem. And they would twist it so that what actually happened was, you know, okay, this week, we're only going to stop the line 10 times. Next week, we have to have it down to five times. The week after that, right. we have to have it down at one time. And it just kind of, you know, it didn't help. So uh, what you're saying generally was, is that hubris
0: was the problem. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it was it was hubris and a complete lacking of uh, understanding that what they were doing was was kind of a cultural thing, right? And we just never in Detroit the culture just never changed, uh, and it started to now. I in the last you know, ten to fifteen years uh, since the I mean even sort of before the bankruptcies and before the bailouts, they kind of were starting to get it, and then that mortgage crisis just crushed everything. Uh, but since then, especially. They, you know, right here we've we've been making some of the best cars in the world. Uh, you know, from a design standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, um, I, I really like. I'm really close with a lot of the guys at FCA, and it's been really cool since my time. I worked at Chrysler at the worst time possible. From like, I started in 2002 and uh, took the buyout right for the bankruptcy in '09, which was just a miserable time to work there. And uh, you know, like Ralph Fields and Mark Carlson were there. And Ralph was Ralph was a big reason that company survived because he came out with you know the the 300 design which uh, that car's been you know it's been, it, the 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 platform is is pretty similar in architecture since it was then and because right. uh, Daimler took out so much of the, the the research budget it had to be if that car wasn't a hit that Chrysler wouldn't exist right now. So it's been really cool watching those guys who stayed with the company. Now they're the ones kind of, you know, calling the shots and making these badass vehicles. Um and Detroit is Detroit's a cool place to be right now. There's a creative energy here that you just don't find anywhere else. Uh it has a long way to go. It's it's you know, it's still not Is that like an underdog type
0: of thing? Like, like everybody kind of sees Detroit as something that had gone wrong, but now everybody's like, just kidding. Like this underdog. There's a a
2: perverse, there's kind of a perverse sense of, of pride that Detroiters have in like, you know, screw you guys. We're Detroit. And I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how to explain it, but when you're here, it it is sort of us against the world. I mean, Detroit versus everybody that, that became a, you know, international brand, Uh, uh, And there's a a work ethic in the city that you don't find anywhere else. There's, like, if you go down to to southern, southern factories or go out west, there's nothing against, you know, they just have different priorities. In Detroit, it's always, always been about the work, no matter what.
0: Well, contrast breeds results right if you have if these people understand contrast and they know that hey well, i've experienced this it makes other things seem nowhere near as bad as it might be
2: Con- Contrast and conflict yeah, you know it's, exactly. it's hard times breed hard people who aren't who aren't uh intimidated and it's it's you know always been kind of this 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 motto that detroit's had that you know screw everyone else we're going to get it done
0: all right, let's move on to into what you're doing now. So you work at the yeah. the GDLS prototype shop.
2: What is GDLS, and what do you do there? General Dynamics Land Systems. And it actually, uh, so Chrysler Defense, which developed the Abrams tanks in the 70s, uh, late 70s to the, the, or actually the early 70s to the early 80s, uh, when Chrysler had their financial issues in the early 80s, they sold the Defense uh, the defense division to General Dynamics, so that's what General Dynamics Land Systems now is now, and the the uh, the headquarters is in Sterling Heights. And behind the headquarters, where there's you know 3,000 uh, engineers and and white collar guys and business guys, there's this little proto- sh- prototype shop in the back, and we work on you know prototype military vehicles or also uh parts prototype parts for existing military vehicles so
0: the company should really be called cool shit
2: incorporated <laughs> it's totally 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 is uh i added at one point that uh, you know general dynamics is just they've always got kind of their they're all about making money i mean they own i'm not sure if we still own gulf stream or not but uh there was kind of a joke i heard one time that you know beat BAE makes, uh, makes military vehicles, Raytheon makes missiles and general dynamics makes money. Like it's, <laughs> they always just kind of I don't know what to do. And so I, I started there in 2010 and, uh, it's just cool. I mean, working on tanks is awesome. They're, they're such incredible vehicles. You get into one and it sounds like a jet firing up because it literally has a jet engine in it. It's uh it's a, uh, and they got that t-
0: that uh, turbine technology from Chrysler, right? On the yeah, from the turbine, yeah, car. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, well, it was it was sort of so Chrysler had so much experience working on turbine engines that when uh, so GM and uh, Chrysler were were uh, uh, competing for the tank contract, and Chrysler decided to go with this crazy uh, turbine engine, and a lot of it was because they had you know experience working on it from. A decade before, uh, and it's it runs on anything. Like you can literally, you know, run it on alcohol or perfume if you wanted to. Um, well, that's was, probably
0: pretty good because when you're in Soviet Russia with your tank, the fuel <laughs> oh, probably isn't
2: as good as it is in Detroit. You get, get some vodka and toss it in there, and you go good to go. But they're they have insane torque. Like the torque right at the beginning, the, the torque curve is just bonkers. It starts out at you know three thousand foot pounds, or it's almost infinite at. at low rpms uh and you get it in and you feel like okay i'm gonna take off and then it just sort of lurches forward uh but when you get used to it it's they're so smooth they're so agile for 70 ton machines uh they, they turn on a dime they're just they're 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 incredible incredible machines and you know there's something to be said kind of kind of like the you know how the charger and challenger have been around forever. There's something to be said about having a familiar platform and just tweaking it. And I mean this is the whole, have been basically the same since the late since it was invented. Uh and then, you know, just the power sort of been tweaked. Uh but it's it's basically all the all the technology around it as far as tracking and, and uh defense mechanisms and things like that. That's what really gets advanced.
0: What are you doing on these things?
2: Uh a lot of stuff um <laughs> and it's it's something you know specifics obviously i i can't really talk about but uh i'm basically so we have a mechanical side and a uh kind of a sheet metal side and the machining side and i work in sheet what well, they call a sheet metal that's basically all the fabrication the welding fabrication because these uh, things so, are not riveted together <laughs> no 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 they are <laughs> welded uh i've I've helped build a vehicle from scratch at one point where, you know, we start with a surface plate and it was a, a group carrying vehicle and it ended up being like an 80 ton tracked vehicle that was sort of a prototype and, and watching that come from the ground up was, was pretty rad.
0: And my, my 140 amp welder I've got in my garage would have no problem. Tackling <laughs> all that, oh, right? I'm sure. <laughs> oh,
2: not at all. Not at all. We do a ton of, uh, a pulse welding, which is like uh it's just a super high energy uh form of of MIG basically, uh where it's, it's almost like shooting metal out of a fire hose uh and do a lot of really thick uh steel and wound we do a lot of armor. Um so
0: yeah how much it's, armor it's, how thick uh, can can you weld this armor plate? How thick can you oh do? It?
2: I we've done, you know, three, four inches thick. Uh You know, it's it's a lot of it's about the joint preparation, Um, right? But even when we do, like when we do our certifications, it's on a one-inch plate with a with a K groove, so we can do some really, really, really thick stuff. So there's
0: four main types of welding, and I was going to ask what they're used for generally. We've got arc welding, MIG welding, TIG welding, uh, uh, GMAW welding, gas metal arc welding. Then apparently we have the fire hose welding that you that you do (laughs) as well. But what is Arc welding's been
2: around a while. What are people still using that for? Well, gas metal arc welding and MIG are the same thing. Okay. Uh, MIG, it's just basically a, a shorthand for it. Um, so arc welding is cool because it's super convenient. It's basically you have a power source, whether it's uh, you're were, you were talking about you know, a battery, laying, out, laying out a wrench across the battery and getting an arc. Um, I have my dad picked up a bunch of old popular science and popular mechanics from like the 40s and 50s. And there's all these advertisements for for arc welders, which are basically just either plug it into an outlet or hook it up to a battery. And you know, dollar ninety five. You, you mean your arc welder. You're out. You're plugging it into like
0: you're in the kitchen. Your wife is baking a, 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 oh, nice, yeah, totally. a nice quiche, and you're over there with just welding in the sink with something plugged <laughs> into the right yeah, right about the garbage disposal switch. You're
2: making the oven grill while she's getting ready to cook on it. Basically, <laughs> I, yeah. It's 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 pretty messy. It's basically what it's evolved into is it's a it's a a stick of metal with uh, flux coating around it Uh, because uh, one of the other advances with welding was figuring out that the atmosphere doesn't help weld the joints so you want to shield the heated metal from the atmosphere which is you know oxygen and nitrogen and if that gets sucked in while the metal's hot you get brittle welds and that's no good so one way or another you need to shield the metal from the atmosphere, and with stick welding or arc welding, um, the metal has a coating, and you strike an arc, and uh, it basically just kind of fills into the joint. Um, with gas metal arc welding, it's uh, it's a it's a process where a machine pushes the metal uh, into the joint, and then there's gas coming out of that same uh, mechanism or gun that the metal's coming out of, and that arc. That heat uh, kind of creates the puddle, and then with TIG welding, it's you've got a torch with an electrode that that can carry uh, high um, high energy, and then you've got a and that has gas coming out of it, and then you manually put the. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but then you uh, you add filler to it, and uh, that's the one where everybody's
0: that's where the weld porn comes from is TIG oh, welding, absolutely, right? Oh, absolutely,
2: absolutely. Tig is you have it's very precise. You have a lot of control. It's very versatile. There's guys uh, welding clean, soda cans with super it. Super clean. Oh yeah, yeah. That's kind of a parlor trick, like the bat and the razor blade thing. They people, you know, they they kind of show it off. Like, look at this crazy thing I did. And it's not really that that hard. It's it's more about setting up the machine and and kind of knowing what you're doing. But uh, so transitioning
0: from MIG welding to TIG welding, what are some of the problems that I'm going to run into in terms of learning My
2: coordination? hand-eye coordination. It's basically... So you have to have... With uh, with MIG welding, you've got your gun and the trigger, and you know you can use both hands to steady it if you want to. With TIG welding, you've got a foot pedal to control the amperage uh, or the, the energy input. You've got... If you're right-handed, you've got your left hand uh, feeding filler rod into the puddle, and then your right hand is controlling the torch. So you're doing something with a hand... And for both your hands and a foot. So it's hand-eye eye foot of, coordination, not just yeah, hand-eye. Hand <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's it's kind of funny. Uh, a lot of drummers are really good tick welders or vice versa. And I kind of choke because I have terrible rhythm. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I have bad vision. It I'm doesn't translate shaky, the other way. And I have, have terribly, well, it's it's supposed to, and I'm just, I I'm some kind of anomaly. Like I'm not good at any of the things you're supposed to be good at to be able to weld and somehow I can, I can do it. So, so what, if I'm, if I'm on, if I'm heading over
0: to Harbor Freight or I'm going on, don't go there, Chris, not not, ah. not, not Harbor Freight, not Harbor Freight. Let's say (laughs) I'm going to, let me, let me, let me rephrase (laughs) this. Let's go over to Miller.com or Hobart or whatever, and look at welders and look at equipment and everything else. What do I need to get started? Like what's a good budget number to, to get ready to go out and buy everything I need to get started with welding.
2: Well, what do you want to be able to TIG and MIG? Just or talking about MIG do? welding, because I think most guys in the just garage
0: are probably MIG welding. Like I'm working on my old 911 welding stuff together, and I just have a MIG welder. And that's that's what I have. But I'm just wondering for that guy that wants to get started, because most garage mechanics, they need a MIG welder. They don't need a TIG welder,
2: right? Uh, yeah, TIG is becoming more and more accessible, and more people are getting into it. Uh, and because more guys are wanting to do some aluminum um there's that, but I mean, if you want to get into a really cheap MIG welder, I, I, full disclosure, I'm, I'm sponsored by Miller. So, uh, there's that, their machines are not cheap. If you want to get into the really cheap realm, um, like go to, you know, Home Depot and they have the, the little red L word machines <laughs> and, you know, for, for three, $400. And that's, uh, you know, that's where a lot of guys start. Are we talking with machine like at that point though? Uh, well, you can do flux core. Most of them, I guess you have to, you have to check to make sure you can do gas too. A lot of the, a lot of the machines, they'll say flux core, but, um, a lot of times they're, they're also, you can hook a gas bottle up and do regular gas welding. So besides Uh, the welder, what else do you need? Uh, a helmet and you can start with, you know, one, basically just a dark lens. Uh, do you, and you helmet, use an auto dimming helmet, helmet or do you use like a, a permanent oh, yeah. shade? Oh yeah, the, the permanent shade guys are typically, they're out on the pipeline and they need something that's uber durable um, and, and covers their whole head basically. Uh, that's that's why they call them pipeliners basically, the helmet. Uh, they, the, the auto darkening technology has advanced so much that if you're doing anything in, in a home shop it's worth the investment to get a nice auto darkening hood. Um, obviously I like my, my Miller hoods, uh, but, uh, speed glass makes really good hoods, and the, the lenses are just super clear. Uh, actually uh, Miller just sent me a couple of their new, new hoods with these lenses with this clear light technology. And you, the arc is just crystal clear. It's, it's really, and, and it takes out a lot of the uh, guesswork, like, you know, You can see exactly where you're starting an arc as opposed to dropping the hood and being like, I hope I have the gun in the right place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was sometimes Um, I feel like I start, I'm like, oh, I got to move a little bit, you know, and you got to start out crooked or you're in the wrong spot or that kind of thing.
1: Josh, I'm not sponsored by Miller, but I also have a Miller (laughs) auto darkening hood and uh, the actual MIG and I, I love it. I wouldn't be able to weld very good without the auto darkening.
0: Yeah, I have that too. Mine has just has a, has an eagle on it. I don't know what brand it is. But it has an eagle on it. has an American <laughs> okay. eagle on it, Like <laughs> grasping an American flag or something like that. That's Whether it's eagles or American flags, that's basically the best welding helmet. <laughs> so what's the best way to learn? You know, you get all your stuff, you get
2: home, how do you learn? What do you do? Back in the day... So I'm, I'm kind of an idiot. Like when I first got into welding and started my site and, uh, everyone's like, Oh, you got to start a YouTube channel. And like, that's dumb. Nobody's going to learn from watching the videos. Uh, I was all about, I, I mean, I learned in the traditional way. I went to, I, I became an apprentice. I went to to trade school, um, kind of learned through guys that have been doing it for 40, 50 years. Like literally one guy that was one of my instructors was, uh, 72 and they welding since he was 17. Uh, so like these guys just had a wealth of knowledge and it accelerated my learning curve so much. Um, but I was totally wrong and people are, people have really learned how to become really good welders starting with YouTube. Uh, so you find, find somebody online. There's a, you know, if you go on Instagram, there's a huge community of of welders that are just incredible um, a lot of guys that are really willing to, to take the time to answer questions. Um, I, I write for the, the fabricator.com and a lot of that is, is just talking about kind of the process. Um, but you can, I mean, there's so many with the internet age, there's the feedback loop has accelerated so much. There's so much information out there and basically just it's finding people that you connect with or that you trust to give you the right information. Uh, and then, of course, the just, part of as you would say, strike an arc and do it, right? Just do it, drop the hood, and go at it. I mean, once you... There's a lot of a lot of people... Uh, I really... I enjoy the, the teaching process a lot. Uh, I taught for a couple of semesters in comb. I didn't like being kind of in between the faculty and the administration, so I didn't like that part, but the peer instruction part of it is is incredible. And when you see somebody... Usually people you can tell right away whether they have that like, you know, that spark or not. And once you get it and you get the, the basics down, it's all about practice. It's just, I mean, I still, on my lunch breaks, I go back and I'm just running beat nonstop. Uh, I've, you know, it's just, it's, it's all about doing it.
0: And that's, kind of, I started out, I, Probably took a ten year break from welding. I just didn't have any reason to do it. You know, I kind of. Yeah. I'm not a great welder. I just. I bought a Hobart 140. Plugs into the wall. Gas welder. That's good machine. Yeah, and I just would just do stuff. And I did a little bit of body work here and there. I of course made some weapons immediately. You know, just <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I took like a, I took a, a push rod out of a transmission of for the clutch for a manual push rod, and I took a, a cam gear or a, a, crank, a crank crank gear, and I welded it to it, and then I put a big handle on it. And it just became a bludgeon that I made myself. <laughs> you know, you got to be if you haven't made weapons with a welder you are yet. You're on your way to be a serial killer unless you. <laughs> yeah, I don't that, know what that uh, is. The thing I is, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's just jealous yeah, that you're you working on actual
1: weapons like tanks, so he yeah, just wanted to build that's that's that. True, I know.
0: <laughs> and uh, so I started welding on my car, and I've noticed as you know, I'm doing a ton of body work on the car right now. From where I started, even till now which is only a couple of weeks later i'm significantly better than i was that's a good sign yeah just okay the angle of the wand needs to be this i need to be pushing that pulling yep. and i need to be doing these different things and i need to have this gap between the metal and these are all things that you you'll probably need to figure out as you go like oh, that didn't work Oh, that oh that, i'm going to have to grind that off and uh, and and that kind of well, stuff as you go along uh, you, you kind of well start is to pick troubleshooting
2: it's always, it's all troubleshooting. I mean, it, from the literal sense of, okay, why is this wire not feeding? Why am I not getting gas? What's going on? What's wrong? To the actual process of, okay, why does my bead look like this? Why am I going through? Why am I not getting penetration? There's always a, a cause and a, and a reaction, you know? So it's, it's all about troubleshooting. And once you get your head around that, Uh, It kind of simplifies the process. Here's the main problem I'm having. I'm not saying it can't be frustrating. It is. Here's the main problem I'm having.
0: I'm going to see if you can can help me out. So I have 18-gauge steel, and um, once I finally started getting my gaps right, it became a lot easier. But the struggle that I'm having still is with a little bit of uh, shrinking, where it'll pull one side under the other one. So then when I go to grind it flat, I can't get a nice a nice, uh, I can't get it to disappear basically. And so what I try to do is I grabbed a wet rag and I was wiping it off as I would go. I go little by little by little, and I'm jumping around and trying to like keep things as cool as possible. But then when I use the wet rag, I can't go, I can't go back. It, whatever is going on. I can't strike the, the, I don't get a spark. I, there's no heat in it or whatever. It just doesn't seem to want to pick up where I left off. Once I wiped it with the wet rag, how do I keep the heat on these panels under control?
2: Well, I would work on, uh, maybe practice on your arc starting, because that shouldn't be an issue cold starting. Um, you you're, I mean, everything you're saying is, is you're doing things the right way. Uh, skipping around doing, um, I mean, I would, I would even just do like literally a spot weld. Um, I mean, you can experiment with doing you know, a half inch or something, but a lot of times on sheet metal, it literally is just a zap, you know, zap here or there. Um, the problem is, is, it
0: doesn't look good in my mind when I'm doing it. Like I go and like look at your work, <laughs> or I look at other people's work. I'm like, oh my god, that looks amazing. The see per- welds the are perfect. Stack of dimes. And I just well, yeah, the you're, stack you're, of dimes. And I see all these little like little buttons all the way down. It just doesn't look good. So then I end up grinding it off. And then everybody's like, well, are you a grinder? or Are you a welder? And I'm like, well, I guess
2: I'm a grinder. I hate that. I actually made a post about that like a week or so ago. Like. There isn't a there isn't a welder alive who hasn't done a shit ton of grinding. I mean, it's just part of the part of the gig, you know. I don't, that whole meme, I get tagged in that, like, uh, like the the little kid or the Santa telling the kid you're getting a grinder for Christmas or whatever <laughs> the shit that is. I get tagged in that a hundred times every Christmas, and I just ignore it. It's, I mean, it, you're going to be grinding, especially on sheet metal. I mean, you're you're not gonna, especially if you're doing body work. It, it's going to get sand it down anyways. That's just how it works. Uh, so I wouldn't be too frustrated about that. I would, you know, whatever it's all about making whatever you're doing. It's all about the finished product product, you know, making it, uh, whatever, whatever the goal is. It's about attaining that goal as opposed to how it goes along the way, if that makes any sense. Sure. So
0: what made you shift from being a guy who welds to a guy that owns his own welding business?
2: Uh, Basically, I just, it, it was, so the the business has been kind of a, a creative outlet for me. I do a lot of sculpture, a lot of art, which kind of came from, you know, as a millwright at Chrysler, Skilled Trades, uh, we were, you know, we were on call. So during production, we could be involved on, on a
0: in, When you say millwright, what do
2: you mean by millwright?
0: What is that exactly?
2: It's a, it's a classification of Skilled Trades where depending, it's different depending on, you know, where you're, where you're working and what you're doing. But at the, uh, I worked at the matt two Chrysler plant. It was an engine, engine plant. So we were, we did a lot of plant maintenance. So if, uh, if a line broke down, um, we, we would fix the, you know, the gearbox or the links, or, um, if the machinery needed to be pulled or put in, uh, we would, we would do that. It was a lot of rigging, you know, moving around, uh, machines and metal and, uh, just whatever, whatever needed to be done as far as that went yeah a catwalk needed to be installed we'd fabricate it and install it things like that oh shit okay
0: sorry continue on you gotta
2: drive a crane which is fun
0: yeah there you go (laughs) not as fun as a tank but still pretty good yeah yeah so what did you how did you end up making that transition then from doing that to the you know owning your own business because that's a a risk that's a leap
2: it it is but I, I, I the business and my work always kind of happen simultaneously. So, you know, I'm working 7 at Chrysler and then I'm working 40 hours at my own business back when I was, you know, when I was first starting. Uh, and it started out as just being in a plant and having downtime between, you know, major crisis of production lines going down and just practicing and, and eventually start sticking stuff together. And then so it, it's like the classic, you know, everyone kind of has the same story of, oh, I just started putting nuts and bolts together. And then somebody asked me to make something and, you know, I made, I started making gifts for my, for my family and posting it online back when social media was in its infancy and people were like, oh, you should, you should, uh, you should make more of those or you, you know, I want to buy one of those. And it kind of just started like that and escalated. And well, I saw John Wick <laughs> holding one of your pieces. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. My buddy Ryan. My buddy, Ryan Boyd, uh, is a, is a machinist. He, he's kind of a partner in running Arch Motorcycles, which is, uh, Keanu's motorcycle company. Cool. And I got a tour of the, of the factory a couple of years. They just, they do incredible bikes, but he's, he's really, uh, hands on as far as like, he loves the process and, uh, he, he gets, you know, he's kind of who, <laughs> who everyone thinks he is, you know, he's just this, this down to earth dude. Who well, that's rare gets, today for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. It, they've got this really cool synergy of of making really cool motorcycles. So that was definitely rad to see. Uh, Ryan sent me that picture last week as soon as soon as he got it. So that's pretty dope. Tell us about the Still Building America project.
0: Speaking of working, what is that, and why did you start it?
2: Yeah, that's
0: it's kind of a uh,
2: an outreach project. My wife and I started. It started actually as uh, for my blog for the Fabricator. Uh, it's one. It, so I write three posts a month basically. And, uh, I had this idea for one of them being about the next generation of fabricators or blue collar, you know, skilled trades people, because traveling around whether it was for work or doing shows with my, with my art or car shows or whatever it was, I always heard the same thing. Like, Oh, this young generation doesn't like to get their hands dirty. They don't like to work, but I would, meet all these kids that were the opposite of that and so part of it was just to be like show the world that these you know kids from 16 to 35 whatever the you know that kind of age frame that they did like to get their hands dirty they're just doing it in a different way than the generation before them so that's kind of where it sprang from and then it turned into like right now i want not everyone's going to want to be a welder. Not everyone's going to want to get into the skilled trades, but I'd like for kids to know it's an option. And right now, and and what it's been for, you know, a while is, Oh, you suck at English or you suck at math. Uh, go, go bang around some sheet metal or wrench on a car or something. Almost like like that. Like it's like it was always like
0: fall- America's fallback plan. Like it's like, yeah, Oh, it's I guess been- I'll do whatever instead of being it's totally. Like- it's
2: always, it's always been a fallback plan. And there's guys that are, that are brain surgeons that who knows, maybe they wanted to be a, a millwright. And then there's guys that are millwrights that probably could have been a brain surgeon if they just been taught the right way. So what do you think causes mentality?
0: Game. Cause at some point in society, if you look back at, you know, the forties, the fifties, the sixties, the blue collar was kind of the, it was kind of the heart, right? That was kind of what America was founded on. There was a lot of that, but as we've got into society in the last 20 years or so, it's go to college. Even if it's just a community college, go get your degree in Egyptian basket weaving, or <laughs> well, uh, wh- why would you do that instead of uh, starting to do an apprenticeship to learn to build
2: something with their hands? What caused that? Do you the, think the cycle is changing now? Like the last, last five years, it's really come back around where vocational schools are doing well. And, um, classes are starting to spring up and people are, I think social media has a lot to do with that. It's like, wow, this is, this is an option, you know? And I think after, after the war, um, you know, it was still, it was still cool to work with your hands, but honestly, I think a big part of it was, was from, uh, federal programs for colleges themselves. Like they were paying people to go to school and then, you know, jobs started requiring you to have, have degrees. And like with m- with my family, my grandpa was a Korean war vet and he was an engineer. And in, uh, eventually he started getting tapped to train these kids who ha- he didn't have a college degree. He was trained in the army and he started getting tapped to train these kids who had college degrees who didn't know what he knew but as soon as he taught them they would get pushed ahead of him because they had college degrees so i was the i was the oldest of nine and my family was always like you know you're going to college that's the only you know my grandpa was a, was a big part of that was you know you got to go to school and I, it just wasn't for me i got you know i i got to the point where i was uh, i was at college and i just i didn't like it and i dropped out and uh, my dad had worked in the factory for his whole life and uh, kind of got my first taste of factory life. and was like, man, this is awesome. I love this. So I think a lot of it was, uh, it's, it's kind of a, well, like you said, it's like a cultural thing. I think there was this, not just cultural, but there were programs that really pushed education and pushed like, we'll give you this scholarship or, and now it's just become such a big money thing where, um, When I went to, I went to Hillsdale college and back in 1996, it was, it was $25,000 a year. And now that's almost cheap, you know, uh, these, these college loans that, that the kids are, are able to get, you know, people want to, want to blame these kids for taking out all this debt, but that's what they're told to do. That's what they're trained to do. Well, someone has to uh, build
0: the building. Someone has to build the educational, which is basically some of these institutions are just monuments to themselves at this point.
2: You know? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. There, and and it's starting to turn around where there's more on-the-job training, and there's more uh, people are realizing there are other options. Even if they want to go to a four-year university, you know, go to community college for a couple of years and and get your get your feet wet, and then figure out what you want to do. Because as an eighteen-year-old, it's really hard. Like in America, it's like, oh, okay, you're eighteen. Figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. And uh, we we've become specialists, and that's one of the things that you know I I enjoy about what I'm doing is welding's opened up a lot of doors for me and, you know, I've been able to write, I've been able to travel, I've been able to, to work these different jobs. And, uh, you know, I would have been able to do that without, without that, that path that I took. So, uh, I, don't know if that really answered your question. At all, no, it I, does. I think it's an uh,
0: interesting discussion on, on where society is going. And, and right now there's, I, at least I know over the last 10 years, there's been a real shortage of just labor jobs.
2: So, so i don't i don't believe that i'm kind of like uh, that's just that, what you hear it,
0: right that's just what you hear it is that's what you hear there. that's
2: what's been pushed and i I've, I've really tried to make a push the last few years to say that's kind of bs um what it is is it's companies lobbying uh you know these groups like like the american welding society pushes this narrative that uh all, these, all the all the welders are 55 and about to retire, and all these jobs are opening up, and this is going to be a great career, and you can start out making $50,000 a year. and None of those numbers are accurate, but they've been the authority on it for so long that people just eat it up. And the reality is guys that are really skilled are having a hard time getting paid what they're worth. Uh, like labor wages since 1979 have, have been stagnant or gone down. We're not making any more money. The... The 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 wage inequity is, is so massive. So a lot of guys just get you know, they get to the point where they've been doing it for long enough where they should be making really good money and they're not. So they're like, you know, why am I putting my body through this? I'm just gonna go, you know, a lot of guys become chefs or, you know, open a business doing something else or go back to school.
0: Uh well everybody's they, told they can get a job in the oil fields for yeah, seventy five thousand dollars with and then there's trailers well, and strippers right next door and it's amazing. <laughs>
2: Well, what happens when uh, oil prices tank like they did this week? All of a sudden, all these guys are out of jobs. It's such a cyclical job, and a job and uh, and that kind of life. Like people say, well, just go go weld in the field. Well, that's cool if you don't have a family, if you're 22 and you're just starting out. But if you're 35 or 40 and you've been doing this for 15 years and you've got a family and you've got kids going to school, it's really hard to pack things up and go to Texas to work on an oil line and. Uh, there's always a trade-off. So a lot of these jobs that make this big money, and I, it was the same thing for me, it, it still is in skilled trades, is you're working seven days, 12 hours, you know, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. That's your entire life. You're giving up your life to make that money. And so there's always a trade-off. And right now there's a demand that the demand is for cheap welders. It's for guys take welding for $12 an hour. Those jobs are falling off the trees. Finding a job where you're making, you know, hundred and fifty thousand, those are those aren't as easy to come by yeah, that's where you're welding on ships it. underneath the water
0: <laughs> type of stuff right
2: yeah yeah and, and that's another thing underwater welding like people are you know oh go be an underwater welder it's such a small percentage of welders and the career the career length is so short because it's so hard on your body and typically you're in you're in pretty dangerous areas uh <laughs> I have one story where they have like so if you go on an oil rig they'll have the, the guy who's doing underwater welding, you have the backup guy, and uh, one of my just in instructors case the other guy doesn't it. come out of the water or what? Well, that's the yeah. So the story that one of my instructors told me was he had a student that wanted to do that, so he went and did it, and he's like, yeah. So I was out there, and I was the backup guy, and the number one guy came up, he had been attacked by barracuda, and they're like, okay, your turn, and he's like, I quit, and <laughs> got on the helicopter and went back. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that shit. Yeah, that's so. There's always a trade off, you know. There's it, there's always a give and take. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And that's what uh, I was going to say. But Any it, job is going to have its
0: elite pay and its average pay, and then it's you know
2: the grunt it, it, pay, right? It's just, it is really hard to get to that elite level in the welding industry. You know, there will be people saying, "Oh, it's you know, I, I can't find guys to work for that much here." And there's pockets of the country that are like that, but overall. I like to look at the numbers. I like to look at the actual statistics from like the Board of Labor Statistics. And the numbers just don't prove out, uh, you know, the average salary is right around $40,000. Starting salary is right around $20,000. The average age is 40 years old, not 55 years old. And the other thing is you look at, uh, you know, these these labor jobs and guys are not retiring at sixty anymore. They're working until they're 70 or they're 80 because the cost of living has gone up so much. So it's just not, my big thing is, I want guys to go into the trade with both eyes open. I want them to know what the reality is. And if you've got a passion for it, if you really dig it, then yeah, go for it. You can make it. But if it's just something where you're like, man, I'm going to make all this money, it's not the way to go.
0: And it's hard on your body. I mean, you're, there's fumes and it's and it you're is. bent over and things are heavy. Metal's heavy. <laughs> Turns out
2: it, it's they're physically demanding. They're uh, you know mentally demanding uh, more so than you would think. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I had I've had. Or major arm surgeries uh, from like was it 13 to 16 2013 2016. You know where I was out. You know 15 months out of 22 months for these surgeries. And uh, chances are, I mean, it was part of it was uh, somewhat of a genetic thing, but working you know 120 hours a week didn't help matters. And everyone I know that's in the trades has had some kind of major physical you know physical issue they've had to deal with at some point it's just it's just part of the game uh so you know the it, the same thing it's you know the pay is there if you're working 84 hours a week for i i did my so my apprenticeship was a four year apprenticeship 8000 hours and i did it in two years so uh you know that was my first two years in the trade I did you know 8000 hours in two years so
0: I really appreciate your input on, especially on the career points. That's, that's something I hadn't heard before. So it's really good to hear from somebody that's, that's in it. Um, if somebody wants to find out more about the still building America project and what you do and your welding, where can they find you? Where can they find out more?
2: Uh, pretty much on social media. I'm everywhere on Instagram. My, uh, my name is welder assassin. Uh, I also found out welding has an Instagram account. Still building. America has an Instagram account. Um, If you go to browndogwelding.com, it's got uh, connections to all that. Uh, I write for thefabricator.com. I have a regular blog on there, and I have a – there's a magazine, the Welder Magazine, and it's a a bi-monthly thing, and I have a a column on there. So Google Still Building America or Brown Dog Welding, and and you'll be able to find me.
0: Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking with us about – you know, one of the coolest things ever, which is melting metal together. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. You take care of yourself, man. Yeah, you too. Good talking to you guys. Yep. Bye bye. Bye. I enjoyed that. I learned. I learned. Absolutely. It's always good to learn. It's always good some, to Some, some fresh perspectives there, too. It's yeah. It's interesting and it's in hearing about, uh, I like hearing from uh, people that are from Detroit. I think it's a really, really interesting place just in terms of the, um, absolute absolute success and the absolute failure of that city and, yeah. and the journey that that city has had and the people that have had to deal with it like you said you know hard experiences build hard people and I think yeah. that's that's absolutely true uh, do we have anything before we go yeah let's take a moment to talk about petrol box so Petrolbox is a monthly
1: subscription service specifically made for the automotive enthusiasts each month they carefully select items including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, publications, all sorts of awesome stuff, and they send it right there to your doorstep. There's actually two levels of subscription to choose from. The PetrolBox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrol Box Premium gets you more gear for only $39.95 a month. Be sure to check them out at mypetrolbox.com and use the code
0: OverCrest at checkout to get six dollars off your first month. All right, guys, we'll catch you on Monday. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye.